Welcome to this peer voice activity. To access the entire activity, including supporting material, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash SNX. This activity is supported by Novartis Pharma AG. Hello everyone, my name is Laurence Hervé. I'm Professor of Pediatric Neuromuscular Disease at the University of Oxford and at the University of Liège in, in Belgium. Today, we're going to talk about hypotonia. And hypotonia is a um, very important symptom to um, observe in, in, in newborns and in, in young children, um, because some causes are highly treatable. And um, an interesting feature is that with some clinical clues, um, we are and we can be able um, to make a quick diagnosis that helps our patients. And some causes are not treatable, but nevertheless, having a rapid diagnosis may also help um, for the management of hypotonia. Because um, a treatment is not only to give a drug, it's also to work as a team, including with the physiotherapist, um, to give um, to the patients the best outcome. So the, the, the concept behind this presentation is, is to start from the patients and from the clinical signs um, of the patients. So first thing first, let's think about what is treatable. I am a neuromuscular doctor, but in front of hypotonia, I will first think about the reasons of being hypotonic without having a neuromuscular conditions. What are the causes that we should consider um, before um, any other because there is a rapid treatment to initiate? Well, personally, I will think about hypoglycemia, um, about infection, um, about hyperbilirubinemia and anoxoischemia. So the three first causes are um, treatable and there is an immediate um, benefit of, of having a rapid diagnosis. But then if it's not brain, if it's not a metabolic issue, if it's not an endocrine issue, then um, we, we should consider a neuromuscular condition. And a neuromuscular condition is a condition that affects either the muscle itself, either the cell that gives the order to the muscle, which is the motor neurons, right? And between the, the, the motor neurons and, and the muscle, there is a junction, there is the neuromuscular junction. So we will consider all this structure between the motor neurons and the muscle as potential structure affected in neuromuscular conditions causing hypotonia um, in newborns and in infants. Um, so what, what, what should we look at in our patients? So the very first thing to look at is, is the eyes. And I, I used to say, look at the eyes of your patients. And in in such patients, for instance, with, with a good eye follow-up, no ophthalmoplegia, but these bright eyes looking at you. If the patient, this patient has obviously not a, a severe encephalopathy, um, and, um, and if she's um, hypotonic and she has no reflex and she has tongue fasciculation, then you should probably consider spinal muscular atrophy um, with such bright eyes. And um, in this video, we see another patient um, and what I want to show is that, that she has, um, she does not follow up with the eyes, my, my, my hammer, but when the hammer is just in front of her eyes, then she moves, um, she moves a, a, a arm to, to try to catch the, the hammer. So she sees the hammer. She wants to interact with me, but the eyes 
do not move because she has ophthalmoplegia. Um, it's a muscle issue. Um, and in this context, what you need to consider is either congenital myasthenia, either, for instance, X-linked myotobular myopathy if she was a boy, but congenital myasthenia is an important differential diagnosis because it's treatable. And so look at the eyes of your patients and then look at the tongue. Um, if you have hypotonia plus um, macroglossia, think about hypothyroidism, which is a classical cause. Think about um, trisomy 21 or Pompe disease, Whitman Bequit, which is not treatable, I agree. Um, but the tongue um, can be an, an interesting feature because it's you can observe mac macroglossia, but you can also observe um, another feature, which is fasciculation. And fasciculation is, is spontaneous movement of, of the tongue. It's not a problem for the patient, but for you, it's going to be a, a, a very um, positive sign of spinal muscular atrophy. Um, some congenital form of Charcot-Marie, um, spinal muscular atrophy with respiratory distress or brown violative and law are differential diagnosis of, of fasciculation um, in infants um, with, with um, hypotonia. So look at the eyes, look at the tongue. Um, let me tell you a story. This little princess has obviously severe hypotonia um, and, and she presents uh, with areflexia and this hypotonia is more severe at the lower limb um, and she has fasciculation. She has no um, uh, cardiac um, hypertrophy, she has a mild infection. Obviously with such a pattern of weakness and fasciculation, um, with a baby who is obviously um, clever, you have to think about um, spinal muscular atrophy. And spinal muscular atrophy is now a treatable condition. So we have to diagnose, um, especially when, when comes this triad of areflexia, hypotonia, and tongue fasciculation. We nowadays have, have um, different treatment options and with three drugs that are approved in the US and in Europe, for the treatment of spinal muscular atrophy. Ginosin, which is an intratecal oligoantisense nucleotide. Gene therapy, which is a one-shot um, uh, IV um, infusion. And oral therapy with fluidiplasm. Some consideration um, for, for uh, gene therapy, for instance, in, in SMA, SMA type one, um, if you treat a patient after the symptoms, um, this patient has, has the potential of um, getting the sitting position, um, being alive, um, being even ventilation free, and maintain the ability to swallow, but will remain with a significant disability. But if you have the possibility to treat the patient before the symptoms, for instance, because you work in a country where there's newborn screening, or because this patient had a brother or sister with spinal muscular atrophy, then um, you have the possibility to give these patients a much brighter future um, and definitely to help this patient to acquire ambulation and um, even in some patients to have a normal neuromuscular development. Um, spinal muscular atrophy is, a, is a, it's not a disease that you can treat by your own in the middle of nowhere. You, you need help. You need the help of, of a team. Um, and the, the rule is um, to act before the symptoms. Um, with disease-modifying treatment, but when the patient presents with symptoms to think about prevention of the infection before the infection happens, um, to 
start thinking about ventilation before the patient actually needs it. Um, and the same applies for the orthopedic management. This is um, um, another story. Um, this is a, a patient uh, who came to us uh, from Congo um, and he came uh, with a, quite a severe hypotonia. He's intellectually normal um, and he has been walking with a lot of difficulties since the age of, of 18 months. Um, he, he got a wrong diagnosis of, of uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy and then a wrong diagnosis of SMA. Um, and he has a partial ophthalmoplegia. You remember um, um, the eyes are important in a mild ptosis. And interestingly, mom describes that there is a kind of fluctuation in his condition. Um, this is a typical presentation of a congenital myasthenic syndrome. And this is the same boy um, two days later after the initiation of salbutamol. Um, and now this patient has a very good motor development. I really want to emphasize the, the, the need of an early diagnosis that is based on clinical examination at first. This little princess on, on a um, uh, horse is actually this baby. Um, with spinal muscular atrophy. Um, she was lucky because she could be um, diagnosed early and treated early. Nowadays, she's had an epigirl um, and mom delay in the diagnosis and in the treatment would have resulted in not such a good um, prognosis. The, the impact of, of early diagnosis and early treatment is true for many causes of hypotonia, but it is especially true um, for spinal muscular atrophy because spinal muscular atrophy is related to the, the progressive death of motor neurons. And when a motor neuron is dead, um, there is no way to, to rescue it. So we have to act quickly and we have to act when motor neurons are still alive. Finally, I want to emphasize how important is the, the role of the team, of the multidisciplinary team for all causes of hypotonia. And I really want to emphasize the role of the physiotherapist to help these patients um, to progress. So the take-home message is first examine your patients, take the clinical sign, look at the eyes, look at the tongue, look at the, the small clinical clues that may help you to reach the diagnosis of Pompe disease for which there is enzyme replacement therapy, for spinal muscular atrophy for which we have three drugs that are approved, for congenital myasthenia it can be treated anywhere in the world and and sooner or later um, for Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And then consider referring these patients to a multidisciplinary team because we need to be a team to take care of these patients. Um, with this, um, thank you for your attention. Hi, everyone. My name is Giovanni Baranello. I'm professor of uh, pediatric neuromuscular disorders at UCL Great Ormond Street Hospital in London. And I'm pleased um, to be here with you today uh, to talk about a very important topic in our clinical practice, which is the um, uh, detection and um, uh, possible management of um, the floppy infant of, uh, or the uh, the newborn or the infant that presents to your clinic with hypotonia. And why it's so important to recognize hypotonia? You know, this is a very common sign in, in, in infancy. And of course, it can be due to a very large variety of reasons. 
uh, but it's not always very easy to recognize and also it's not always very easy to to give the right importance to this very um, uh, important clinical sign um, but also it has become very important in the last few uh, years to recognize this early sign because now for some of these conditions um, and and we will talk a little bit more about this um, there are now available treatments it's important that can change of course the the, the prognosis of these patients uh, but we can also have um, um, some um, uh, impact on the family on the counseling that you can provide to the family and to the other uh, children that are present in the family but it's also important for the overall management of these patients so this is why it's very important to recognize uh, you know which is the case of recognize and consider carefully uh, the floppy infant and the causes behind this uh, and also try to have a very active approach so that you don't miss a possible treatable condition um, the typical uh, scenario uh, that you may uh, face in your clinic is when you see a child, for example, that is two months old, um, where uh, during a normal clinical appointment was found to be um, particularly uh, floppy. And what does it mean? It means that either lie uh, flat, you know, or on the bed and is not able to move the legs uh, against gravity so you see typically that the legs lay uh, down on the bed the hips and the knees are flat on the bed and the child does not show any movement uh, like kicking the classical kicking movements that the, the uh, infants or the newborns show um, uh, or that uh, mom was concerned that um, uh, in the last few weeks uh, these movements in the legs have been lost or the child is not keeping up uh, like uh, they do they uh, would normally do with um, the milestones you know like the head is very wobbly or the child is not able to keep the head upright so you have some of these uh, concerning um, uh, signs that are either reported by the parents or even the grandparents are normally very alert about these possible signs because of course they are even more experienced because they may have seen other kids with that so never underestimate what a grandmother can tell you um, uh, but also you may even notice uh, something in your clinic uh, as during your normal follow-up appointment that was not noticed by the parents for example and as i said this is for example, a typical child that uh, was uh, showing reduced movements in the uh, in their leg or very reduced or poor head control. Uh, feeding can still be normal, so no no concerns about the swallowing, no major concern about the uh, respiratory function. Um, uh, but again, you may be uh, tempted to underestimate that this is just you know. A normal delay or a, some form of a benign apotonia so something that can that possibly uh, go away or you know be resolved in the in the next few weeks but you can still uh, 
um, have at your disposal some clinical armamentarium. So try really to observe and use your eyes. As I no normally say, I like to run my um, clinical assessment just by observing, you know, the child or talking with the parents, because already by doing that, you have done like 90% of your job. And you can look and if the child is looking uh, smart and alert or very attentive to what is happening, you know, in the, in the room, or you can notice if there are some uh, other signs like um, uh, startles or some movement disorders or, um, uh, you know, drooling. Uh, you can look at the work of breathing, so the way in which, it, in which the child is um, breathing. Uh, so there are, uh, you know, several, several things that you can look at. If the child is able to follow with their gaze, as we have seen in the previous presentation, so one thing is to look at the child. The other important aspect is to ask uh, the family, the parents, uh, if there is any family history, how was the pregnancy? So the history of the pregnancy may also be very important. If you have the uh, a history of reduced fetal movements, if you have a, a history of um, uh, club feet, for example, or talipis, if you have a history of oligo or polydramnos, all these signs mm, can tell you that there was already something ongoing uh, prenatally. It could, have, of course, be either due to something, you know, congenital or genetic. And um, there are a number of um, uh, diagnostic algorithms available. And one of these that will be shared with you, for example, easily allow you to disentangle if um, you should, uh, for instance, consider if there is a, a central cause of this um, uh, hypotonia, or if this may be rather related to a peripheral nervous system involvement. And for example, as I mentioned, the fact that the child is particularly smart and alert probably goes against a problem of the central nervous system. But rather, for example, if you have a child with very strong uh, kicking movements on the, or anti-gravity movements, uh, reflexes, uh, um, but uh, uh, a very reduced level of consciousness or and alertness may guide you towards uh, a more central nervous system involvement. And there are also, you know, all, also other features like dysmorphic features that should be considered. Uh, we have some syndromes like a brother Ville that always is uh, important to consider in the differential diagnosis of uh, um, the infant uh, hypotonia because can be tested easily and nowadays uh, some of these genetic testing in many countries and in many laboratories have become available even if this is still not consistent of course depending on the different uh, health systems worldwide but some of the hospitals may have now access to a uh, a uh, fast uh, karyotype or a, a, a rapid array to see if there are any chromosomal abnormalities. In some um, uh, hospitals, there is also the possibility to perform 
a, a rapid um, a trio exome or trio genome. Um, but this, of course, may require some time for the results to, to come back. This is why it's important that if you have something that already triggers some um, investigations because the clinical presentation is so crystal clear, it's so suggestive of a specific condition, just don't wait and go for that. Uh, because as I said, this will have important implications in terms of treatment, but also in terms of counseling and possible management of the child. The typical example where we have a very clear diagnostic process is spinal muscular atrophy. Because the clinical picture is so obvious that you can just go straight forward with the genetic testing. And normally this is quite quick and it only takes a few days. And this is why it's important now that we have the treatment to start you know, with these genetic investigations once you have the clinical suspicion. Uh, apart from the clinic, of course, you can also use some diagnostic investigations to help you in uh, achieving a, a diagnosis if you uh, suspect a central nervous system involvement, for example, um, an epoxic ischemic event from the clinical history or from the presentation of the child, of course, you will have the MRI that can tell you, you know, if there has been a brain damage, but you will also have the EMG um, that may be particularly helpful, probably less helpful in the instance of a congenital myopathy, but you will have some indications if you suspect a congenital myasthenic syndrome, for example. And this is also very important because this is also uh, a condition that is potentially uh, treatable. The muscle biopsy can also be helpful when you suspect, for example, um, uh, a neuromuscular condition or, um, or a mitochondrial condition. But again, this can also take some time, so of course, to organize this and also to have, to have the report. But can also be helpful, again, to, uh, to um, further um, uh, continue with the uh, investigation, for example, the genetic investigations. Um, the CK are very easy to perform, and high level of CK, of course, may uh, guide you towards a diagnosis of a congenital muscular dystrophy, especially, again, if there is a congenital um, central nervous system involvement. So you will have uh, a step-by-step uh, approach that um, uh, can um, um, help you with all this genetic uh, and, um, and other um, uh, investigation to achieve a, a diagnosis in the faster uh, way possible. Why is it so important to achieve a diagnosis when you see a child with um, uh, hypotonia? Uh, it's important because, of course, um, uh, some of these conditions may be treatable nowadays and uh, we know now that in the case of SMA treatment and the speed of starting the treatment is crucial because this may dramatically change the natural history of that patient but it's also important because it can uh, properly um, set up the management for that child if the child requires uh, feeding support uh, if the child requires 
ventilatory support and so on. And it's important, as I said, for the counseling of the family, um, because the family needs to know if this is something that can uh, recall within the family, if there are some potentially other family members affected and, and, and so on. In terms of the uh, laboratory available, uh, uh, available in, the, in, the, in Latin America, uh, there is a list of um, laboratories that are credited to perform the testing, because of course this is not uniform in all countries, it's not, it's not necessarily centralized, can be still a little bit patchy, so it's important that everyone has in their clinic uh, the point of contact to refer the patients to or the sample to to be tested and thank you very much for your attention and your participation in this training activity this has been an activity published by peer voice